Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together, they come to you. Your son shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Aphra, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring golden frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
you. Hallelujah. According to St. Matthew, the second chapter, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising. And have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then Herod sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, 
frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So it's one of those things that's anticipated, right? We even make special thing about moving the kings and making sure that they're not here on Christmas, but they're still coming here. And, oh, look, they're finally here, right? Today is the Sunday dedicated to the celebration of Epiphany. Epiphany is actually, actually falls on the tomorrow in the calendar. But this is the Sunday we celebrate in worship the radical action taken by these visitors from the East. These visitors from the East are not only a fixture in our Christmas celebrations, as we just talked about, in the time of Christmas tide coming up to their visit to the baby Jesus on Epiphany. They're a prominent place in the displays in and outside of our houses, church, the manger, the crash, the puts, the, the nativity scene far outweighs, the live nativity scene far outweighs what we actually know about them or even where exactly they were from or they came from. Most modern scholars believe they came from the east, in other words, east of ancient Israel, Palestine. Some of the modern thoughts and scholarship suggest that they were political and social and spiritual advisors to the rulers or kings or princes of the Persian and Babylonian empires that were just to the east of Israel. That means we're talking about Persia is today's Iran and Babylon is today's Iraq. One scholar puts forth the theory that these predictors and pundits of their ancient time may have been influenced by a small remnant of Babylonian Jews. This is very fascinating to me. I didn't know this myself until I started to write this sermon. These Babylonian Jews, in other words, they stayed in Iraq instead of going back to Jerusalem after the exile. And this small community of Jews that stayed behind in Babylon may have continued to influence these spiritual, religious, and political influencers, or the kings, or the magi, or whatever you want to call them. One scholar, John Pilch, says that these kings, magi, wise men, were probably very high-ranking political, religious advisors to these rulers. In any case, these magi learned to have respect and created space for this unique notion, unique at the time. Because remember, we had all these communities and nations around Israel who believed in multiple and many gods. So it was a unique notion that these wise men, these people who sat around and thought about this stuff all the time, started to, be, to, be, to talk about one true God. Another scholar adds that these magi may have been trained to raise their eyes to the horizon of God's activity in the world. Hence, following the star to where Jesus was. And they were trained by their association with this Babylonian Jewish community. Now that we have some background on these magi and who they may have been, we can move on to what it must have been like to be there when these magi arrived and how Herod must have felt when they came to see him. So these visitors from the east show up in Jerusalem. They have heard they're going to see a king. And they follow this natural lead to the place, the star. If you got to Jerusalem and were looking for a king, where would you go to look? 
a palace, right? <laughs> Look for the palace, and there's got to be a king there. Then when they got there, they asked to see the king, and they find Herod. Now, Herod was not really a king, but he played one in Jerusalem as the stand-in king for the Roman occupiers. Herod was not very confident in his hold on power in the first place. And then you have these visitors, these kings, these magi, these wise men, these eastern intellectuals. And they ask the same fearful and not too confident puppet king if he knew where this new king, this king of the Jews was. King Herod got protective and didn't want too many to hear what he had to say. So he had a private meeting with the visitors from the east and told them to return to him once they found this child king of the Jews. So that he too might go and worship and pay homage to the newborn king. Of course, all Herod really wanted to do was neutralize this threat to his power. My former New Testament professor, the late Charlie Kauser, has suggested that these so-called wise men were really quite naive. Perhaps they should have realized that asking a king where there was another better king would seem like a threat to his power, and it seems to be asking for trouble. Why wouldn't Herod be threatened by Jesus when you really think about it? But with all of that behind us, we could talk about that for a long time, but we're not going to. Here comes the most important part. These naive or wise, kings or magi, sages and spiritual shapers, bold followers of their conviction to find this newborn king by following the star to Bethlehem. What does their story teach us? To truly discover meaning of the journey of the Magi, these visitors from the East, with all their intrigue and motivations and possible reasons for following the star, we need to go to the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, to discover the meaning of the pieces to finish the puzzle. I already talked about prophet Isaiah and the clear foreshadowing of the, the visit of these wise leaders and advisors and opinion shapers. We also need to look to the Old Testament prophets of Samuel and Micah, where we find more prophetic clues about who is to rule. It says, the gentle shepherd king, and it says, will come from the most unexpected of places off the beaten path out of the limelight. The newborn king will come from this sleepy little village of Bethlehem, a mere nine miles from the fortress capital city of Jerusalem. My Old Testament professor, Walter Brueggemann, says nine miles. The wise men have miscalculated by only nine miles. Imagine that. That's even better than using your GPS. <laughs> they came all that way and they were only nine miles off. But what, Brueggemann says, but what a long nine miles it is from the halls of power and glory in Jerusalem, from the powers that be, or should we say the powers that have been, to what God is doing out there on the margins in Bethlehem. Now, we could spend a lot more time talking about this too, and how Herod survives the secrecy and deception, and we remember the terrible order that Herod gave to murder the innocents. So when the kings didn't come back and tell Herod where Jesus was, he simply ordered that all of the boys under two should be murdered in Bethlehem. The good news here is that the Magi, the wise men, the visitors from the east find Jesus. When they find Jesus, they tell us that they are what? They're 
overwhelmed with joy. Think about it. Overwhelmed with joy. They've been on this journey all the way. It's very intellectual and scientific and all these other things. But suddenly when they get in the presence of Jesus, they're overwhelmed with joy. They offer their very special gifts, two of which were predicted in the words of the prophet Isaiah way back in the Old Testament, the gold and the frankincense, and then the third gift of myrrh. Then these visitors from the east have another dream, and in that dream, they, they're warned not to return to Herod, but instead to return home by another way, ultimately saving not only Jesus for now, but saving their own lives. One more place to go, one that makes this story of the visitors from the east, the wise men, the magi, the three kings, so very relevant to today. And what's going on in the same parts of the world that are all over the news today, Iran and Iraq and the Middle East in general, and all the baggage that comes with all of that. As we anxiously await and anticipate what might happen next in the world, we need to remember this story about what happened in this sleepy little village called Bethlehem. Without seeming cliche about it, this little town of Bethlehem represents this alternative that runs throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. This dream, at least it seems like a dream for today for sure, this dream of peace that is this overriding theme, this biblical definition of peace, a time when all nations, all nations will beat their swords into plowshares and live together in harmony. You know the words, and the lion and the lamb will lie down together and the words and the world and all in it will embrace a different way a whole new way of being one scholar puts it this way no more deaths of innocence no violence or wretched injustice here's professor brueggemann again reminding us that the way of jesus includes echoing the prophet micah vulnerability neighborliness generosity and not learning war anymore how far is the world from that today To go back to Brueggemann's metaphor, it's like the longest nine miles we will ever travel. The longest nine miles this world, including the church, will ever travel. Here's where the visitors from the east, the eastern intellectuals, as Brueggemann calls them. These eastern intellectuals can teach us a part of our response to all of this. In the midst of all the facts and figures and news pundits and opinions here and there and right and left in every direction. In Isaiah 60, we are reminded of the light and the glory and the rising up from all those places we have been pushed and pressed down. Indeed, we need to be looking for the light of God in the midst of the darkness. As Isaiah says, deep darkness, thick darkness all over us. We need to remember to look up and see the glory of God that is over us. Whether it's exiles coming home or magi from the east bringing gifts to the Christ child, the child king, the prince of peace, Jesus. It is all a part of the same invitation to go into the world, not hide from the world, to go into the world to the ends of the earth, to all the world and preach this gospel story of the prince of peace. Through both our words and our actions. So finally, where do you place yourself in this culminating event, meaning Epiphany, this culminating event in the midst of all the events of Advent, Christmas, Christmas Tide, and even today, Epiphany? 
I think we really want to find ourselves in the story too, don't we? As we hear what happened such a long time ago, how does that connect to our lives, your life and my life today here in Allentown, Pennsylvania? One commentator puts it this way. They say, don't we want to find ourselves in the story too, to hear what happened so long ago and to connect our lives with it? We want to feel ourselves, strangers from a distant land and far off time, kneeling with wise ones from the east in awe and joy for the gifts before us. And we want to know how God is still at work in this world we live in right now. How God is still speaking to us today as God spoke through the prophets, through dreams and angels and a bright shining star so long ago. The commentator continues, It's deeply moving to hear of three foreigners, the Magi, traveling a long, hard way because they had an inkling, just an inkling, of something very important unfolding in a distant land. Something inside them must have been restless or upset or hungry for understanding. There was something they still needed to find. And what did they find but an economically limited toddler in modest surroundings, lying in a teen mother's arms to the intellectually perceptive, this scene was not a scholar's formula for future success. Yet, by grace, the Magi had the faith to experience unbridled and overwhelming joy. Yet by grace, the Magi, the three kings, the wise men, the wise ones, the eastern intellectuals had the faith to experience unbridled and overwhelming joy. And then find more overwhelming joy over and over again. How can we be, are we still capable of or still capable of being overwhelmed with joy? Joy and remembering and remembering about the joy and seeing a new way and seeing a new vision of peace. To look at it one more way, I've taken the visitors from the East story from Matthew and the prophecies of their visit from Isaiah and rolled both stories into this mashup of texts today from Isaiah 60 and Matthew 2. Listen again for God's word to you and me. It's from the message translation this time. Get out of bed, Jerusalem. Wake up. Put your face in the sunlight. God's bright glory has risen for you. The whole earth is wrapped in darkness. All people sunk in deep darkness. But God rises on you. His sunrise glory breaks over you. Nations will come to your light. Kings to your sunburst brightness. Look up. Look around. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, Judah territory, this was Herod's kingship. A band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed the star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on a pilgrimage to worship him. Watch as they gather. Watch as they approach you. Your sons coming from great distances. Your daughters carrying their nannies. When word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified. 
and not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well, Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religious scholars in the city together and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They told him, Bethlehem, Judah territory. The prophet Micah wrote it plainly. It is you, Bethlehem, in Judah's land, no longer bringing up the rear. From you, Bethlehem, will come the leader who will shepherd rule my people, my Israel. When you see them coming, you'll smile, big smiles. Your heart will swell and, yes, burst. All those people returning by sea for the reunion, a rich harvest of exiles gathered in from the nations. Instructed by the king, the scholars from the east set off. Then the star appeared again, the same star that they had seen in the eastern skies. It led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. And then streams of camel caravans as far as the eye can see. Young camels of nomads in Midian and Ephah pouring in from the south from Sheba loaded with gold and frankincense preaching the praises of God. And yes, a great roundup of flocks from the nomads in Kedar and Naboth. Welcome gifts for worship at my altar as I bathe my glorious temple in splendor. The kings, the magi, entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overwhelmed with joy, overcome with joy, they kneeled and worshipped Jesus. Then they opened their luggage and presented gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In a dream, the scholars from the east were warned not to report back to Herod. So they worked out another route, left the territory without being seen, and returned to their own country. You see, brothers and sisters, siblings in Christ, these scholars from the East understand. The gift of the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us, is real and can be found If we are careful and diligent and keep searching again and again and again and again, just the thought, just the thought of this gift should overwhelm us with joy. Overwhelm us with joy and hope all over again. I pray that it be so for you and for me and for all God's children. And as we pray... For all the world and all the nations of the world. May shalom, salam, peace come and stay. Amen.
world that you love, telling the, the amazing news of your coming to be Savior and Lord of all. Amen. And now hear these words of benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace, now and always, and unto ages of ages. Amen.